Hello, everybody, and welcome to 40 Going On 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh, and this week we're talking about the D&D 80s cartoon and Legend of Vox Machina, featuring all of the characters in everyone's first campaign when they were 8 years old, and all the characters from everyone's first campaign when they were 30 years old. (laughs) Yeah, so this week we are looking at two animated features, one based off the role-playing game, one based off the, um, what is it called again? A real play critical role podcast slash Twitch stream. Critical role. Yeah. Which is apparently all the hotness right now. Well, what system do they use? Fifth edition. Uh, Yeah, fifth edition. Okay. I believe that the first campaign, they started in Pathfinder and converted to 5e. Hmm. uh, But the second two campaigns, which are with completely different uh, parties, uh, were all 5e. Well, we'll get to that in in the now, I guess. Yeah. A little ahead of ourselves. Getting a bit bit ahead. But yeah, so if you'd like to get in touch, give us a show idea. You can like to hear. You can do that at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. You'll also join the conversation on our Discord by clicking the Join Us link in the show notes. I don't know. I've been really busy. I don't even know what the hell's going on on that channel anymore. Uh, It's been fairly quiet this week, honestly. We're talking a little bit about Gina Gershon and Jennifer Tilly. Ooh. Mm. Yeah. But uh, also, if you'd like to leave us a show idea and don't want to go through the Discord, you can also click the link below and go to our Google Forms and leave us a text idea, or you can upload a voicemail to us also. This week, unfortunately, we do not have a voicemail. Aw, man. You are correct, sir. Yeah, we do not. Do we have a question? We do not have a question either, because that's a new thing. Michael, We, we do... use them all? No, no. Michael completely flaked out. <laughs> I forgot to look. I forgot Aww. to look. I'm, I'm, I'm taking the place of Josh today. Will be Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Response is random. All right, Joel, give me a number. Yes. Uh, Between one and 70. Damn it. Uh, 32. 32. The question is, <laughs> did we do this one on the show? Have you seen any of the co-hosts naked? I think we did that one. Yeah, I think we did too. Go to 33 then. 33. Well, we, that's, did Joel grow up rich? I know we did that one. Yeah, we know we did that one. Well, keep counting up until we hit a good one. Uh, <laughs> why didn't the rest of the boys join the show? Nope, we did that one. Did, which did friend are you one, all yeah. connected by? Oh, oh. We didn't talk about that. Interesting. Now, how do you... Are we just saying what... Because th- I think we all have more than one friend that we're connected by. Well, here's the thing. is like three of us met at the same place, and then Mike joined later. So whoever introduced Mike to the group is, by default, the connecting friend. But if because, we're, yeah, that's only if we're talking about the four of us. If we're talking so, about everybody, like who would be the big linchpin of all our friends? Like the whole, like who would be the son of like all our college friends? If you talk about that group, that's hmm. tough. I mean, I, I would probably be most likely because like I brought Will in through the commuters, and um, Will's who I was thinking, and. uh when it comes to people that didn't go to Concordia but hung out with us in the college days, like uh, uh, Brian went to high school with me. What about so Dennis? Like, Who was responsible for Dennis? I was. Did, Dennis yeah, but, came into the record store because he wanted a uh, audition for Hot Stove Jimmy and he wanted some of their music. And he and I started talking and then I introduced him to the rest of you guys. Who introduced me to Pat? 
That's the question, because when it comes to the linchpin that unites the four of us, it was probably Joel. Because I think you met Joel before you met me. Did I, Joel? I don't think so, no. I don't remember meeting you till after I met Josh. The very first time I met Mike was outside of the cafeteria. Like, uh, you know, that little, uh, we were all hanging, you guys were all hanging out. Yeah, the little cement patio thing. Yeah. Oh, shit. That might have been me again. Yeah. And I came up to meet up with you guys, and that was i I'd heard about Mike, but this was the first time I'd actually met him. Well, how did I meet you, Josh? Uh, you know what? I think it might have been when Will and I were doing, uh, af- right after I'd move on campus, the Joker distribution list. Oh, Job oh of shit. Keeping I forgot an efficient about that. Riddler. Yeah, and uh, we had this weird little booth that was just playing Steve Miller's The Joker on repeat, and most people didn't understand what we were doing. Because this was immediately before uh, the campus had access to any chat rooms. Uh, there were no graphics for the web. So the way to connect on campus, because Facebook was sure shit not a thing, was the uh, Riddler dis- mail distribution list. Which immediately went sideways when people started sharing controversial opinions and flame wars started. Oh yeah. So Will coded a uh, impromptu uh, little pseudo message board to keep the conversation going and make moderation easier, and uh, named it Joker. Job of keeping an efficient Riddler. Okay. And I was uh, promoting it around campus because I was fresh on campus, and I'm pretty sure Mike met the two of us at that booth. And that sounds about right. And Will, being a fan of coding and regulations and <laughs> monitoring and acronyms, people, yeah, and, and acronyms, acronyms was that is all right up his alley. <laughs> huh? Interesting. I that yeah sounds about right to me. Uh, I had to go through the haze of too many drinks in too many years. So yeah, Will there. is one of the one of the pillars. Then I guess if we you know talk yeah. about who's you know who's responsible for introducing who, for well, who, and who, I will who's to blame. Yeah, right. <laughs> I will never forget going to uh, his house. I think it was his house, and his grandma made us all oh my a giant God, yeah. bowl of pasta and stuff. I, and... I'm still flashing back pleasantly to that meal. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, you, still you slip into a coma in that meal. Yeah, she, she she made us like two weeks worth of leftovers. I am still full from that meal. Yeah, all of those meatballs that are about the size of like the end of my microphone here, just like a little smaller than a baseball. I mean, it was. It, we basically had that stereotypical Goodfellas Italian meal that you know you, you show up at the mother's house and she just you know heats up everything in the fridge for you. Well, she saw us coming over for dinner as a challenge, yeah. <laughs> and I we were defeated. These boys up, yeah, yeah, and yeah, she definitely won. You see her up there cracking her knuckles. She's like, "Bring it on!" I've gone blind. <laughs> well, all right. Good question. Good yeah, memories. Good question. All right, so with a random question done, is it now about that time? It is about that time. <gasps> begin music. Movies. And TV. <laughs> and sports. Uh, I love that so much. And then Josh, dubstep intro. Uh, I love I love how much that makes Joel laugh, where he's laughing in concert with him laughing. Right. <laughs> I love it so much. It makes me happy. All right. All right. So this week we're going with September 17th, 1983, where the pilot of the original D&D cartoon. 
All right. So uh, music, the number one song in the land was Maniac by Michael Cimbello. That's the one from Footloose, right? No, not Footloose. Uh, Flashdance. Yes. Yes. Wow, that was a lot earlier than I thought it was. She's a maniac. Maniac. Anyway. And she's dancing like she never danced before. Gonna Damn dump it. Now gonna dump this water all over the floor. <laughs> what, Patrick? I just didn't realize that was muted as I'm going, you know, flash dance, flash dance. <laughs> I gotcha. Why are you ignoring me? <laughs> and now for the reason I'm high on heroin, uh, for my method podcasting moment, the next bullet point. Amy Jane Winehouse, born September 14th, was a British singer and songwriter. She was known for her deep, expressive contra-alto contra vocals and her eclectic mix of musical genres, including soul, rhythm, and blues, and jazz. At the 50th Grammy Awards in 2008, she won five awards, tying the then record for the most wins by a female artist in a single night. Winehouse was plagued by drug and alcohol addiction. She died of alcohol poisoning on July 23rd, 2011, at the age of 27. Absorbed. Yikes. Yeah. That was a waste, man. Yeah. I mean, I remember everybody be re being really snarky after she died, but, like, she was really a talented artist. Oh, yeah. Her stuff was great. So, Josh, I know a Contra Alto is not two dudes that fight aliens in a Contralto. jungle. What's a Contralto? Contralto. What is that? It is a, like, a, a, you, you're familiar with, you've got Soprano, Alto. Yeah. yeah. I believe a Contralto is either between a Soprano and an Alto or just a little lower than an Alto. Okay. It's, so, yeah, so kind of like a baritone less... is to a tenor? Yeah, bass. Well, actually, it's closer to a bass. It's it's a little lower than an alto. I, I just I googled it. Okay. okay. I just have never heard that before. Obviously, since I'm fucking up the pronunciation. Well, um, and it's not so common because, like, like, if you're in a choir, you're not going to have people like assigned to the contralto role. So, but yeah, it's a classical female singing voice term. Okay. For the lowest range. I'm learning something. I'm learning. All right. Uh, so me too. On. I wasn't sure. I, I thought it might be more like a baritone, but it's more like a bass. Huh. Well, out of the four of us, I figured you were the best one to ask. <clears throat> so, the Everly Brothers reunion concert at the Royal Albert Hall in London on September 23rd ended their 10-year-long solo careers. The concert was recorded for a live LP, and the brothers returned to the studio as a duo for the first time in over a decade, recording the album EB84. The lead single and acronym of the week was O-T-W-O-A-N. Pretty sure that stands for one tiny wiener or a nipple? <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty tiny wiener. It's got, it's got the longest nipples I've ever seen. Oh, no, that, those are that, tiny wieners. Oh, that poor man. That poor, <laughs> can poor milk man. Them both. Uh, no, that is actually on the wings of a nightingale. Uh, I don't know that song. Yeah. You're not I don't know that much. one either. Uh, this, this, this song that Patrick just mentioned was written and composed by Paul McCartney, returned them to the U.S. Hot 100 for their first appearance. Last appearance, Last. excuse me. Yeah, Last yeah. appearance, yeah. not first. Big difference. Yes, very big difference for the Everly Brothers, who'd made several appearances, I'm sure. Well, just in general, there's a big difference between the words first and last. I mean... Right? Like, you know, like a contra alto. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> All right, moving on. Oh, I can't right. move on. He's still got one more. I got one more, baby. All right. <clears throat> Making the decision to unmask in promotion for their upcoming album, Lig It Up, the members of Kiss appeared without makeup for the first time for an MTV special on September 18th. 
<laughs> I remember that was such a big deal, and everyone was like, holy shit, they look like that? Yeah. <laughs> you should probably put the makeup back on. What? Who let their Jewish mothers on stage? <laughs> wow, they are not very metal. I'd say they're not even metal at all. I knew it. Uh, I knew it. Yeah, I mean, it was obligatory. Yep. One of us had to. All right, moving on to movies. Short movies this week. We've got the number one movie in the land, which was the fantastic Michael Keaton and Terry Gar comedy, Mr. Mom. Um, I like that movie. That is a good movie. Yeah. Would you use a 38? <laughs> 38, 38 39, whatever it takes. Anything with Michael Keaton, I'm happy. Movies released this week included Heat and Dust, Strange Invaders, Who Dares Wins, Cross Creek, and Educating Rita. And I've seen none of those. Same. I have hmm. seen Educating Rita, I'm pretty sure. I know that one. I don't know if I've seen it. I don't... Strange Invaders, is that the... It's like a uh, oh, alien... No, that's oh, Space, no. Spaced Invaders. Spaced Invaders. Oh. What's Strange Invaders? I don't, I don't know, know any of these. Invaders. I know Educating Rita, but... Reader? <laughs> educating Rita, starring Michael Caine. Julie Walters, oh, okay. an alcoholic professor, has been hired by a working class girl <clears throat> for higher education. I remember us now talking about this when we did the Michael Caine show. Yeah. But I think Mike was the only one who watched it. Yep, that was me. It was good. I mean, it's Michael Caine. Sexy Michael Caine. Uh, strange invaders, alien beings whose settlement in a small Midwestern town are disturbed by a young professor determined to rescue his son from their clutches. Starring... Nancy Allen, Michael Lerner, Paul Lamette, Louise Fletcher, Wallace Shawn, June Lockhart. Mm, I've seen this. Have you? <laughs> yeah. Only for, the only reason I, it is, it's awful. The only reason I've seen this is because uh, rentals were free when I worked at the video store. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I know that. I know that poster. The rest of them I don't care about. Yeah, it's pretty awful. Awful. Yeah. All right, so TV, top shows in the land were Dallas, 60 Minutes, Dynasty, and The A-Team. Ah. That sounds right. Yeah. Man, 60 Minutes is pops up from then to now, doesn't it? It does. What are you doing? What was that? The, the little the little stopwatch the at the beginning of 60 Minutes. Oh, I thought you were trying to call a very small dog. <laughs> <laughs> Hardcastle and McCormick. I thought he was giving a blowjob to a hummingbird. Oh. No, that's like this. Yep, you deserve that one. Yeah. All right, so Hardcastle and McCormick. How do I mute him? Nope. <laughs> uh, an action crime drama series that aired on September 18th starred Brian Keith as Judge Milton C. Hardcastle and Daniel Hugh Kelly as ex-con and race car driver Mark Skid McCormick. I liked that show. I don't remember this show, but this is on the list of shows from the 80s that I firmly believe if I watched now, I would enjoy quite a bit. I I've never seen it. Fun. I'm pretty sure I've seen this one. <laughs> Although I don't remember him being Skidmark. <laughs> he's not Skidmark, he's Mark Skid. Yeah, I know, but I don't. The, the, it's still Skidmark. Oh, yeah. I rem you know why I remember <clears throat> this? I remember the car. The fucking car, right? The coyote. Yep. It was another one of those shows that had a badass car, and so you didn't care about the rest of it. You just wanted to watch the car do shit. Yeah, car's going to jump something this week. You know that. Right? So, Also, September 17th, Alvin and the Chipmunks debuted. So there you go. Okay. I guess. 
Margaret Grace Denig is an American actress and model. She is known for playing Shannon Rutherford on Lost, Kim Mills in the Taken trilogy, Arena in the Twilight Saga, and Althea sheswick Przgolki in Fear of the Walking Dead. And if you're not her, uh, sure uh, who she is, it's probably because she's better known as Maggie Grace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she was also born this week, is the fact that's missing in that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Boop, boop. All right, and moving on to sports. A controversial cricket record was set by Steve O'Shaughnessy on the last day of the season, September 13th. Manufactured declarations and part-time bowlers serving up full tosses were a feature of the county championship when matches were three days long. Any weather disruption or even a flat track meant that to get a result, captains often had to resort to stretching the regulations to the limit. It is widely agreed that any records established during such exercises are void, but runs scored and conceded do count for or against the players. That's when Steve O'Shaughnessy, a 22-year-old Lancashire all-rounder, smashed a century in 35 minutes, equaling the 63-year-old record set by Percy Fender for the fastest hundred in terms of time. Due to several odd events, he was able to break the record against league-qualified but bottom-of-the-barrel bowlers and in meaningless play while most spectators had left for the day. That's got to suck. You broke this record, but due to everything going on, we're not going to write it down. And they're like, yeah, it's really, I mean, it it, it would be kind of like if somebody came along and beat Wilt Chamberlain's score because a a record of 120, you know, 100 points in a game in basketball because they put in, you know, a bunch of college players against him instead of regular players. Hmm. Some new words in there, too. Manufactured declarations. Not sure what that means. But yeah, so basically this whole thing, it was supposed to be a three-day event, and it didn't even start until the middle of day two. Huh. Yeah, and like they they thought that the whole thing was over, and then they decided, no, we're going to take our, we're going to exercise our right to, to go to bat, even though they're, you know, they were behind by so many. Normally, it's just, you just forfeit. And then the guy, you know, they were like, well, here's some guys that are just, you know, will throw against you. And he stepped up and, uh, you know, in like 35 minutes scored 100 runs. Mm-hmm. But it was against wow. a trash, trash team. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So it's technically a record, but like it's a controversial one in cricket. And then lastly in sports, on September 13th, the Oakland A's Ricky Henderson recorded his third straight season of 100 steals, only the third player to ever do so. Cool. It's weird to me that there were two other people who did that before him. Well, if I took Lou Brock and Ty Cobb, I don't know if you know those names. Okay, well, Ty Cobb, yeah. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Lou Brock was, was, you know, Ricky Henderson before Ricky Henderson. He had all the base stealing records. He, he he basically Ty Cobb set all the records. Lou Brock came along and broke all the records, and then Ricky Henderson came along and broke all those records. So, huh. Yeah. Cool. Anyway, yeah. Play us off, keyboard Joel. No, 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 no. So, 1983, just before the Satanic Panic took full <laughs> full grip of the nation. Oh, we'll come back to that shit if you didn't in the uh, trivia. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so they decided, you know what kids need on a Saturday morning? A Dungeons & Dragons cartoon. Ooh. And we kind of did. <laughs> it was from 83 to 85. Uh, Dungeons & Dragons, the animated show, was uh, based on TSR's D&D blame obviously, co-produced by Marvel Productions and TSR. The show ran from 
83-85 for three seasons on CBS for 27 episodes. Toy Animation did the animation for the series. You definitely know... Uh, God, they've toy done, animation. Yeah, yeah, toy animation. Uh, number one thing that they've done recently, One Piece, Dragon Ball. Um, They're basically printing money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And have been. They do They do uh, Dragon Quest, Digimon, and Digital Miraculous Tales of Ladybug and Cat Noir, which is a oh, weird yeah. French show. Uh, my kids love that one. Also, an advanced Dungeons & Dragons toy line was produced by LJN in 1983, including original characters such as War Duke, Strongheart the Paladin, and the evil wizard Kellek, who would later appear in campaigns in the basic edition of the role-playing game. None of the main characters from the TV series were included in the toy line, but the connection does exist as War Duke, Strongheart, and Kellek each appeared in one episode of the series. I owned the War Duke figure... And War Duke has been restatted for fifth edition. Really? Yeah. Neat. Uh, fairly recently too, like within the last year. Uh I had Strongheart. It's interesting. I was watching a thing about this that, that they said that, you know, typically, you know, the toy lines come before or after, but in this case they were kind of everything was kind of simultaneous, so they uh I think they said they didn't have the license to them initially, so that they put them into the show to try and help kind of boost sales and vice versa. Uh, but yeah, one episode each. It's like, nah. Yeah. Lame. And I mean, War Duke has a pretty cool design with the like blue Batwing helmet, the red eyes. I mean, his body's basically just He-Man, but he's got like the badass uh, magic sword and uh, shield with like the angry face on it. Mm-hmm. I, I remember I remembered that one when I saw them show it on the 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 video I was watching. I was like, hey, I remember that toy. Yeah, I didn't so. have it though. This was directed by John Gibbs for 27 episodes, uh, who did G.I. Joe and Jem after this. So it definitely carried his career forward. Ryan Need is listed on here as being a director, music, uh, voice of Venger the Redeemed. Uh, Requiem the Final is the unofficial last episode of this of this show. I watched it, by the way, Yeah, well, in case oh, good. you guys didn't. Yeah, we'll get to that in a little bit. Bob Richardson, who did a lot of work on like the Pink Panther and stuff, is uncredited, but also helped out with 13 episodes. Hmm. So, nice. On the voice, I'm sorry, writing credits. Now, the writing credits, I kind of dug into this one because there's a, I mean, a, these people went on to do a lot of cool stuff. So Kevin Paul Coates. Uh, was writer for 27 episodes, and he did Battle of the Planets also. Yeah, he was like the showrunner. Yeah, uh, which Battle of the Planets is one of my favorite. I, I, Have we revisited it, though? No. Like Voltron? Because no. like Voltron, too. I don't think they've done a Battle of the Planets remake. No, but I'm a little nervous to go back. I know, know right? Mm. But, I mean, who doesn't like, well, all the weird Fucking gotcha, man. Come I on. know, right? Uh, I was definitely nervous to come back to this one. Mm-hmm. I got Because this was one that I really liked when I was young. So, mm-hmm. so Mark Evaner, another writer who went on to do stuff with Pryor's Place. Yes, my my pick for the show we bring back from our uh, 400th episode. Richard Pryor, yes. Richard Pryor, you know what? Let's give him a kid's show in the mid-70s. Sounds great. It was actually not that bad. 
And then uh, Superman, the animated series. Dennis Marks would eventually do Spider-Man and his amazing friends and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Carl Gears would go on to do uh, Flash Gordon, Hank Saroyan, Muppet Babies. Mm -hmm. Jeffrey Scott went on to do Hulk Hogan's Rockin' Wrestling. Oh, yeah. Yep. Michael Reeves, another writer for eight episodes. Spider-Man Unlimited, Gargoyles, and Batman the Animated Series. Catherine Lawrence did X-Men Evolution. Paul Dini, you may know his name because he's kind of all, I don't say all over the place, but mm-hmm. he went on to do Batman the Animated Series and also wrote for Lost. Yeah, he's a big name. Yeah. Yeah, I know that name. Right now he is doing a TV series called Arkham Tales of the Dark Knight. Nice. So, but he sticks with the Batman thing, which is cool. Buzz Dixon, Batman the Animated Series, Steve Gerber, Guardians of the Galaxy, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, the movies, and What If, the TV show. Uh, he did the What If Thor was a single, uh, was a only child, and uh, t- the t- T'Challa Black That's Panther episodes. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Kimmer Ringwald <laughs> was a writer yes. eventually for Jake and the Fat Man. <laughs> Baywatch and Baywatch Nights. Oh. Well, I know. You had me there for a minute. Michael Cassett went on to do Z Nation, which wasn't a really bad. I don't right want show. to see that. Yeah, it's pretty good. It was okay. Uh, Michael DePatty would move on to do sound stuff on Transformers. So he basically wrote one episode of this and wanted to do sound work and editing. And Mark Shiny did something with the Gary Coleman show. <sighs> Fucking animated series. And also listed here as writers Dave Arneson and Gary Gygax. Who's That's that reasonable. Guy? Yeah. Gary who? (laughs) (laughs) All right, so on the series cast for the voices, we've got Katie Lee doing Sheila the Thief, uh, also did the voice of Rolf from Muppet Babies. And then Frank Welker (laughs) did the voice of Uni, the unicorn. If you do not know Frank Welker, he did Mm -hmm. Ralph the Guard on Animaniacs, the voice of Fred on Scooby-Doo, Curious George, the Cave of Wonders from Aladdin, the voice of Megatron and Soundwave, the voice of Azrael the Cat and the Smurfs, Astro on the Jetsons, Dr. Claw from Inspector Gadget, and Kermit from the Muppet Babies. Bring me the lamp. Uh, he was also Scooby-Doo. Was he also Scooby? Yeah, yep. he's... He took over. I, and, oh. Yeah, that's the thing is, like, we've only scratched the surface with those credits. Dude is, like... One of the best-known voice actors. And yeah, we got that, another one coming. And that's the thing. It's like I could have put, you know, I could have literally filled out three pages on just his his resume. Uh, Willie Ames <laughs> as Hank the Ranger, and how do you know him? He's Buddy from Charles in Charge. Nice. So good on him. And then just to pair that up with some some other weirdness, Don Most. You know that most. voice, Most Don. He's the Mostus. He's a Don with the Mostus. Uh, also did I, Ralph Malf from Happy Days. Yep. Uh, Presto the Magician was done by Adam Rich, who went on to do a show called Code Red about firefighters. He was on 8 is Enough. Yeah, I was going to say, was I, he? 8 is Enough, which is where I would have gone, yeah. Oh, okay. I rolled forward. I didn't roll back. Well, code, code Red sounds like a show about Mountain Dew. <laughs> and... Just, God, it, it really did. That's what I, I when you said a show about ambulances or whatever you said. I was like, oh yeah, that makes it more sense. Yep. <laughs> Actually, it's one of those movies they showed girls when they were learning about their changing bodies. Oh my god. Okay, dude, dude, mute. 
No. <laughs> also, Peter Cullen. This is the other resume. I put three of his biggest ones on here. Peter Cullen has, did the voice of Avenger, also did the voice of Optimus Prime, Eeyore, and Montre Jack. Montre Jack like, for, for, for you, Josh. Thank you. And when uh, Avenger started talking, I was like, holy shit, that's Peter Cullen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, it had been a while since I'd seen this, so... But as soon as Venger started talking, I knew who it was. Yeah, I mean, in the last ten years, his resume is Optimus Prime, Optimus Prime, Eeyore, 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 Optimus Prime, Optimus Prime, Car from Knight Rider. You know, it's... He's another one of those voice actor greats up there. Like, imagine if you were a kid, if you could put that together, you're like, holy shit, Optimus Prime is the same... Sounds exactly like Venger. Yeah. Venger? Venger. Hmm. Vin- I pulled a mic, I just looked up and saw the name and went Vinegar. Hey, you do not get to make fun of me for mispronouncing something. Hey, you <laughs> threw me Polish names today and I, I cruised know. right past those. Yeah, I said that and I said that to the guys when you were gone. I was like, I'm gonna throw him some Polish names because he can do Polish and Japanese very well. Can't do English real well, but Polish and Japanese. <laughs> I like how you got that in before any of us could. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, Teddy Field III did Bobby the Barbarian. He also did the voice of Spike from the Mr. TV show, Mr. T TV show. Ooh. And voices on Starcade. Uh, Sidney Miller did the voice of Dungeon Match Master. And he's done tons and tons of additional, like, he's kind of like the studio mus- musician for voice actors. Lots or, of or like the Hagazaria type. Yeah, yeah, lots of his yeah. stuff is like additional voices, background characters, one-shot characters from episodes. From his acting career, he played Hitler <laughs> in the movie Which Way to the Front. Yikes. Somebody what? has to. Well, I mean, it's a, ni- a 1970s Jerry Lewis movie. I mean, not with him, but directed by him. All right. There you go. So it's a period piece. Right. And that's uh, another name for one of those movies that they showed. Mm. Also, Tonya Gale Smith did the voice of Diana the Acrobat for all 27 episodes and went on to be fan number one from Facts of Life. You take the good, you take the bad. Now, I'm not, I'm not being like snarky about that. That's literally the only other thing that she Yeah, has that's on her entire resume. Right there. Yeah. All right, so some trivia on this one. Although many people claim there is a final episode, it was never actually produced during the time this was out. The script called Requiem was finished in 2020 and is available online courtesy of Michael Reeves, who produced it as fan-made. In addition, the DVD box set release of the series includes a performance of the script as a radio play-style production. Uh-huh. And this, I said we are going to circle back to the Satanic Panic. This was canceled basically because of outcry because of the D&D satanic panic mm-hmm. and it was canceled like uh, the second to last episode the one that was going to set up requiem was out there and they just didn't even get to uh finish filming uh the la- or finish animating producing uh requiem yeah they just basically walked in like wrap it up boys we're out i mean that's why i worship my lord and savior satan is because of playing D&D as a kid. I thought it was because you were raised by Satanists. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, you forget yeah. about that. You know, it just yeah, kind of drifts. Damn it. Also, some trivia. Series developer Mark Evanier revealed that Eric's contrary nature was mandated by parents' groups and consultants 
to push the then-dominant pro-social moral for cartoons that the group is always right and the complainer is always wrong. Good thing they pandered to those parents groups. That really paid off for them two years later. I know, right? Kind of set that one up. Also in 1984, TSR released a board game named Quest for the Dungeon Master, inspired by the episode In Search of the Dungeon Master, in which the DM is captured by Warduke and frozen in a magic crystal, and the kids try to rescue him before Avenger gets there. The Brazilian company Grow released a Portuguese-language version of this game in 1993. Excuse me, it's Venger. Venger Boys. Veniger. (laughs) And also some trivia about the character himself. After becoming an award-winning platinum-selling writer, producer, director, Willie Ames took a five-year hiatus and became a six-star cruise director, (laughs) spending his time circling the globe and visiting over 127 countries. Well, that was in between him playing his famous superhero role of Bible Man. That's not a joke. Captain Buddy. Wow. Oh. I just, out of curiosity, I, I looked, how much would it cost me to get a copy of Quest for the Dungeon Master as a piece of memorabilia? Uh, Any guess? Quest uh, for the Dungeon Master. I'm gonna 250 250 250 or $2.50? 250 bucks. Okay, I'm going to go with 85 I'll go two fifty one. You bastard. I found one on eBay for two hundred and fourteen ninety nine. Oh Ooh. Yes. But no, we like, both lose. Yeah, I and this is the only one at this price. All the other ones are over six hundred. Oh my god. Wow. But I lose less. <laughs> yes, that's what we say every time we see you. Yeah. He loses less. That's what everybody says when they see me. I lose less. The thing is, I'm looking at this game, and I, in my head, I can see it on the shelf. Mm, okay, I found a used copy for only 140 bucks. Only, only. Uh, Mike, Mike is saying he thinks he owns it. No, I, I'm, I'm, not, no, I'm 100 sure that I don't own it. I, oh, I thought that's yeah. what you were saying. No, no, no. I'm like, I remember seeing it. Like, I remember going to the store what and the seeing fuck? it. Oh, I thought you meant on your own shelf. Yeah, no. What is wrong with Venger's face? Venger, goddammit. <laughs> anyway, you look at the box cover. First of all, uh, man, the art on the box cover is awful. Well, they were tr- probably trying to hustle it out before the, the panic kicked in totally. I mean, they could have paid somebody who wasn't on drugs. Uh, the board art's pretty bad, too. Dungeon Master looks slightly melty. I'm, I'm, I just brought it up. Wow. And yes. somebody forgot that Diana was supposed to be black. Oh, wow. Yep. There she is at the top. Looking yeah. very uh, non-African American. Yeah. They they really just were like, quick, shit it out fast. Maybe. Could have been the case. Wow. Yeah. All right. So this show was... Oh, wait. did uh, Were we done with... Yes, yeah, that was the end of the trivia. trivia. This show was pretty foundational for me because, like, uh, I had owned all the D&D stuff but barely got to play. 
But, like, I didn't remember a whole lot of the episodes, despite the fact that an image from uh, the first episode of Dungeon Master is literally the lock screen on my phone and has been for over a decade. But, even though I didn't remember details from the episodes, every time the opening sequence came by, I got such a nostalgia hit. Oh, when he starts rattling off the class names? Yeah, well, even from the beginning, it's like, look, it's a Dungeons and Dragons ride. And then, like, every moment on that ride, Mm -hmm. I don't like this. Oh, please. Yeah, that, first off, if I went to a a theme park and there was a and d ride, I would be on it all day. Yes. That, That thing honestly looked like a bunch of fun. And yeah, that, I mean, hearing the opening music and that, uh, what's that almost like triumphant noise at the end? Now, honestly, I'm I'm wondering about what sort of scenario the DM puts them in where they meet up with Tiamat right off the bat and then get attacked by Venger as a second, the second one. And he doesn't give them a cleric; instead, gives them an acrobat. Right. <laughs> like there's definitely a healer missing from this team. Yeah, you've got two rogue archetypes, no healer. And a cavalier who doesn't get a mount. And actually, actually, you know, it sounds kind of, kind of, kind of right. <laughs> but it's exactly like Josh said at the beginning. You know, this is like the campaign you run when you're a kid and you don't understand how, like, you know, reality works. Mm-hmm. And like the very first camp, you know, campaign, you're like, well, I don't want them to just meet some robbers. We got to meet somebody bad. Who's the baddest guy? Oh, Tiamat. All right, we'll have him run into him. And he doesn't just immediately squash them because they're all first level. And Eric is the kid who you have to play with because your mom won't let you kick him out of the game. Right. Yep. I I definitely noticed that there was a swing up in the episodes. Like, things got a little bit more risky after season two. A hundred percent. They, like, started to push into the, hey, what if we actually develop some darker fantasy themes and develop these characters instead of just doing moral of the week, bog standard uh, Saturday morning cartoon. And yeah, the quality kicks up real heavy by about the, I'd say actually first episode of season two. Mm-hmm. Now, first, I, I know I normally ask this, but I'm assuming that it's not the case for, uh, for us, but this isn't a first viewing for anybody, is it? Oh, no. Yeah, that's what. No, I had pretty me. much the same the, the, the same experience as Josh, where knew all about D and D, had the books, wrote a bunch of adventures, didn't really have anybody to play with, and when this came out, it was like, oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and some of the episodes, like the city at the edge of mid- midnight, where the kids get stolen. Did you guys watch that one? Oh yeah, yeah. That's. Pretty heavy duty crap. I mean, the, and they get so close to leaving because they wind up with a kid that they all know gets stolen, and they're like, "You have to let people know what's going on. We're trapped here. Tell my parents. Tell people that we're, we're trapped here." And he's like, "This is a dream." Nah. Well, then there's the episode that generated the most complaints, which is what started the satanic panic getting uh, pointed at this show. It's near the end of the third season where the kids are debating whether or not to murder Venger to make sure that he stops coming after them. <laughs> hey, but you know what? That's, that's not a, a bad plan. That's a, that's a thing, you know? Hey, well, that's where I learned about Coup de Gras was Saturday morning cartoons. Now, I like the first episode of season three, The Dungeon at the Heart of Dawn. Solid. It was, 
Yeah, I mean, it, that honestly was one of my, I think you even put it in the um, in the show notes before, it was the the gang summons Satan. And it's like they, they get a hold of his chest and Eric decides that he's going to look into the chest and see what's in there, opens it, and releases the the evil that makes Venger nervous. That's that actually, isn't Tiamat. That isn't Tiamat. That's Boss and Venger around. And it the whole plot line, I mean, it's, they the dungeon master almost dies everybody loses their weapons uh you know they have to get they have to get um dungeon master back to the heart of dawn to get his powers back and all that and it's like i was thinking to myself it, you know it, for saturday morning cartoons yeah. there's a lot of drama there's a lot going on here it's not the type of obstacles you normally see characters encounter on a saturday morning right like normally it isn't like oh we have to get the spice from gargamel's cabinet Right. Watch out the for the cat. Th- the other thing I noticed is because they wanted to show off everybody's skill set at least once per episode, it seemed like uh, they decided to like highlight Diana so much because they're like, what the fuck do we do with an acrobat? That she felt in a lot of episodes like the most powerful one out of all of them. Like her uh, bow staff, her telescoping magic weapon could do pretty much whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, th- I, I agree with you on that one, because I think Acrobat, they could, I mean, Cleric, if they, play, if, they did, if they put a Cleric into this one, it would have been like, that's it, run off, you know, don't, I'll, I'll just be here when you get damaged to heal you, you know, I'll sit back and do that. But I think you are right that they was kind of like just one of those things to show off. Like, there was one episode where they were, herding these like camel horse monsters and she was able to use her staff to like drive them into a river valley where they weren't able to get the to attack them or something like that but you're right they they kind of threw uh i don't want to say like a specialty skill to everybody once in a while yeah i mean sheila would always do the i appear somewhere the monsters stupidly go towards me and i vanish that was every single episode did you notice that they never called sheila the thief in the show itself, it was only in the uh, opening credits. I did not. Yeah. They never called her the thief. They always, even Dungeon Master, when he would talk to uh, Eric, you know, he wouldn't say Eric. He would say Cavalier, you know, that sort of thing. He always called Sheila by her first name. Interesting. Kind of weird, but sure. Uh, the Odyssey of the Twelfth Talisman, that was another one that uh, that I watched. I'm curious because you already kind of singled out a favorite episode. Do do others of us have them? I'm I don't know that I have a favorite episode per se, but I came into this expecting it to be another Voltron situation, and I gotta admit, I was kind of pleasantly surprised. Even though there was a lot of wash, repeat, rinse, whatever type of mentality to the show. It was still a lot of fun and a lot of shit that, like you guys were saying, isn't standard morning, Saturday morning fare. Uh, so it did bug me a little bit that the character classes weren't all actual D&D character classes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were kind of. I mean, they were basically first edition, second edition kits for the acrobat because Thief Acrobat and Cavalier would be uh, optional as well. So it's not like they weren't classes at all. They just weren't Ca- like basic players' handbook classes. Cavalier ah. was was the the pre paladin, right? Wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Basically, okay. yeah. Okay. 
TV shows what I know. But no, I, I don't know that I have a favorite episode. I, I ended up watching about 10, which I, at some point I want to talk about Requiem if you guys haven't seen it. But uh, what about you, Pat? I 100% do not have a favorite episode because I only got to watch four episodes because this was a bad week. Another bad week because all the weeks are bad. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I only got to watch four episodes. I had plans to watch many more today, and it didn't go well. So, so the four that you watched, which which ones were those? Which <laughs> there you the, go. the first four? I like started oh, with the okay. pilot and just just. Went oh, on. okay. I mean, there's some good ones in those first couple, but uh, I mean, my favorite is the traditional favorite. It's uh, the uh, second season, episode five, Day of the Dungeon Master. Uh, where basically Eric is talking shit about how great it would be to be Dungeon Master's job so easy. Dungeon Master's like, cool, you've got all my powers, I'm going on vacation. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing about this is, like, it's one of the few where Eric is just not a total douche. Like, he's actually not bad at being the Dungeon Master. He's still a little annoying, but he... It's actually one of the few where he is one of the best parts of the episode instead of the worst. Huh. I kind of wish I would have watched that one. It's a good episode. It's worth 20 minutes, like, uh, if you've got it in your week. Like, I would say it's legitimately worth it, even if you're not talking about the show on the podcast. It's far and away my favorite. One of the other things that I enjoyed is them throwing in D&D monsters into this. Mm -hmm. Like... First, I mean, right out, right out of the gates. I mean, the very uh, the second episode, "Eye of the Beholder," which eventually yep. became a video game, and I think it was a module, also, wasn't it? I believe you're correct. Yeah, but the catch is on this. Yes, "Eye of the Beholder," very cool. You've got the Beholder who's turned this whole valley into a awful, desolate landscape, and how do they defeat it by showing it a flower? Yep. I that's remember how it works. even then I remember watching it going what? Eh, that's that's not right. Uh I've, I've I've had characters die against beholders. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go on record and say that's not going to work in my campaign. <laughs> just carry flowers around just in case we see a beholder. Look at the flower. And then it <laughs> melts. Well, and it kind of occurs to me like no matter how dangerous it is, in, until you get deep into the third season, the kids never really take any hits. So the cleric would have been bored. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say this. The the Winds of Darkness, the very last show that, that aired, that one was friggin' terrifying for kids, I bet. Because right out of the gate, um, crap, the ranger... What's his name? Hank. 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 Yeah. Hank just gets like absorbed and destroyed by this monster. This uh, kind of like uh, the fog. The darkling. Yeah, the darkling looks like a scarecrow. Like like scarecrow from Batman comes in and he's stealing children and stealing people and bringing them over. And once he gets the right amount of people, he can take over the world type of thing. And you've got Hank, who's like the the hero, the leader, that sort of thing. And right out of the gates, he's gone. And I was like, again, for 1983 kids cartoon, that's pretty ballsy. You know, there was actually a risk there for them. It's a lot more intense than most Saturday morning cartoons, mm-hmm. what you're saying. Yeah. So, Joel, it definitely had listen- its moments. Oh. Sorry. Joel, you listened to the audio play of the uh, final, final episode. So I-, I know the plot, but I want to hear from you since you've actually gone through it. 
Well, it was interesting because apparently there was a at least a mini comic book version that was made of the the episode as well. Um, but they got some pretty big names, including uh, the original actress who played, uh, I believe it was one who played Sheila. Um, but Avenger and uh, the Dungeon Master meet up and they make a deal that if they're going to put the kids through hell and Dungeon Master can't help them at all, and if they win, then he'll get them the option to go home. But if they lose, they die. And Dungeon Master agrees. So kids go off. They end up splitting up into two different groups because they can't determine, you know, if they're going to trust Venger because he's the one that's like, here's the deal. If you get to the end of this thing and whatever, you can go home. Uh, so off they go, but they splinter off into two different groups and they end up kind of going against each other to some extent. They get to this final castle thing and as they're going through it, they find this key and, and Venger tells them that they've, when they find the key, they got to throw it into this portal and then that will get them home. Well, there's a, like a sarcophagus in there that looks like Venger, but if he was handsome, younger and, you know, not evil. So, uh, they're kind of fighting against this giant tentacle monster and, and they've got the key and, uh, the, Oh, I forget his name. Uh, Hank is thrown off the ledge into the, into the abyss thing. And Eric's the one who's got to make up the, de the decision of what to do, whether he trusts that he trusts, you know, to throw the key in there, or whether he uses it on a, on a lock that he saw, uh, and he decides to open the lock. Venture's not happy about it. He opens the lock. And uh, it turns out that Venger actually was under like a spell, turns back into this handsome young lad, and it's the dungeon master's son. Shock horror. Then the portal opens, and they're like, okay, you can go home now if you want. And the fucking ending... It's ambiguous. They look out and they see that, you know, all these portals have opened up and all the people that were there that were trapped in the giant, or you know, universe that's basically a dungeon. All of the characters in the in the universe were there trapped. So they all get portals to their to go home. But they're still evil there. So Dungeon Master's like, you can stay and help or you can go home. And they never say whether they actually go home or not. I'm like, What? So I think that's a pretty good ending. They end it with them like giving the wink and a nod to each other, or are they just like whether they're gonna? Yeah, they ended on them going, "Hey, are we staying? Or are we going?" And they don't, they don't make the decision; they just cut the credits or kind of thing. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. you can. No, I, I, I get. They, yeah, yeah. They finally went yeah. home, or they continued to go on adventures. But yeah, I mean, way, I, I kind of like that. Yeah, it's their decision in in the canon, and it's your decision in in your mind what they did. But yeah, Avenger like is Dungeon Master's son, and that's the one thing he couldn't do. He couldn't fix the fact that he had been turned evil. Huh. So the kids did it for him by risking their lives. <laughs> by He's saying, here, if they die, they die, but they can still help me. Huh. Yeah. T'was love that killed, that cured him. That's Everybody crazy. was trapped. All the lizard people that were the bad guys, all the people that they run into throughout the episodes, all trapped there. Uh, I also have to call out, we know he's a brilliant, brilliant voice actor, but Frank Welker is the only reason Uni was not completely 
insufferable. No, Uni was actually a lot better than most team pets. Right, like <laughs> Orko or whatever. Like, I, Uni, but I was Uni just was amazed. Scrappy do, he was Scrappy Doo light. Nah, I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even say that because Scrappy Doo was useless. Uni eventually got magic and turned out to be more helpful than uh, Sorcerer. But like, you look at the design. He looks like he's from a different show. He's got the My Little Pony like yep. winged eyeliner thing going. But it's the voice acting, I think, that made Uni charming, even looking back. Uh, and I was, like Patrick, like, I loved this show, and I was a little worried watching it now that I was going to ruin it for myself. Well, you know, the first time that you kind of get the uh, uh, opinion that Uni might be more than he appear or she appears is the one where uh, Venger is capturing all the unicorns. Cause, or no, not Venger, his... One of his cronies is capturing unicorns because he wants to take over Venger's job, and he's capturing them because they can teleport. And Uni's the one that ends up saving the day, kind of. Uh, was that Shadow Demon again? Because Shadow Demon became uh, more and more prevalent as the show went on. I don't remember the character's name. I just know he was like one of Venger's right hand dudes. He was scared of him, but he was trying to take his job. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, he was like one. he was like the star scream of D and D. Yes. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, now, but, what you th- know, if they if they ever do a reboot like Kevin Smith style, maybe he'll Uni will be like Orko, where you love dude. It. I would love Her. that. Someone, Sorry, Mike. So I'll say, so someone get on that. Um, some of the other things that this helped launch, and I think things that we didn't, we probably would not have seen in other forms of media. That um, I think the, the cartoon kind of helped help spawn um does anybody else i think i know joshua remember the advanced dungeons and dragons comic book oh yeah made by tsr and I'm, i just looked it up and i'm like man if 1988 me knew me now would have not carried his comic books all around with him in his bag like he did back then because a very fine version of that comic runs at 150 bucks and that kind of makes sense because 88 would have been around the time where TSR started to make a few too many weird decisions. And by the 90s, which is when I had like a first big burst of playing D&D after we all uh, got out of Shadowrun and decided to play D&D again. Uh, and then I got into RPGA, yada, yada. Like TSR was in a lot of trouble mm-hmm. setting up for the eventual Wizards of the Coast acquisition. Yeah, they did some weird stuff. There was some wacky, I don't want to say wacky, but there was a lot of uh, throw it at the wall and see if it sticks type of thing. Like the Encyclopedia Magica books, which were embossed leather bound, and they literally cost more to manufacture than they retailed for. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Yeah, I, I have a full set of those. Yeah, uh, They're real nice books. Yeah, but, I have yeah. them too. They're awesome. Yeah, And it was a bargain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But not for TSR. Please buy uh, TSR, this. TSR became a bargain. Yeah, I actually have a <laughs> copy of... Uh, what was the name of the game? Green Things from Outer Space? Somewhere from TSR? Uh, no, Awful Green Things from Outer Space was Steve Jackson. Oh, it was Steve Jackson? Uh, yeah, it was originally produced in the pages of Dragon Magazine, but it was a Steve Jackson joint. Okay. 
All right. So, yeah. So, uh, I think we kind of filled this one out. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, we haven't talked about D&D really in depth for 300 episodes. And it's a big part of all of our lives. Uh so, yeah, I'm glad to do this, and I'm excited to talk about the second half, which, spoiler, is my favorite thing on TV. Nice. All right, we're going to be back in a little bit, and we're going to be talking about uh, Vox Machina, which is out on Amazon Prime. So we'll f- stick around. We'll be back in a little bit. All right, so we are back, and now we're going to talk about The Legend of Vox Machina. Uh, this just came out in 2022, and uh, it is part of the, I don't want to say resurgence, because I don't want to say there was ever a surge, but acceptance. Well, I mean, I get what you're saying, but like uh, a lot of people our age don't realize that D&D is bigger now than it ever has been, even in the early 80s. Oh, I 100% nerds, nerds agree with you. mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was not true when 3rd Edition first came out, and a lot of us thought it was, but it was like, no, it was still bigger in the 80s. Critical Role, in a lot of ways, uh, contributed. Critical Role, Twitch, and 5th Edition made D&D bigger now than it has literally ever been. I mean, this is this is the... the... The way that I know it's bigger now is because when I tell people now that I play Dungeons and Dragons and I or I run a Dungeons and Dragons game or any of that kind of stuff, I don't have to explain what Dungeons and Dragons is anymore. They're mm-hmm. just like, oh, okay, so you're a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> like it used to be, I, I play Dungeons and Dragons. Well, what is that? Then you explain it, and then they go, oh, you're a nerd. Yeah. Now oh. they just, oh, I play Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, you're a nerd. Or back so in like, 1986, yeah. I played Dungeons and Dragons. I'll pray for you. Yeah, that was yeah, yeah. I got that a lot. Oh, I got that yeah. a lot. Accurate. That, that yep. was that was why why I was one of the black sheep of the DCE program because I listened to secular music and played Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> you and me both, brother. Yep. All right. So, Legend of Vox Machina. It's a fantasy streaming animated series produced by Critical Role and uh, Titmouse Incorporated and Amazon Studios. It showed up on January 28th, 2022, based on a campaign from the D&D web series called Critical Role. Josh was just talking about it. It's set in Exandria, a world created by Matthew Mercer back in 2012 for his own D&D game. And eventually they uh, launched it as actual play web series in 2015 called Critical Role. It takes place in the continent of Tal'Dorei. 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 Uh, all the way from like the city state of Whitestone to the city metropolis of Amman. They actually started it with a Kickstarter in an attempt to raise $750,000 in 45 days so they can get a single half-hour animated episode out. Uh, or organizations and TV studios didn't have the confidence in a bunch of nerds doing something like that. Whoops. Yeah, I know, right? So... Uh, Eight hundred eighty-eight, eighty-eight thousand eight hundred and eighty-seven backers pledged eleven million three hundred eighty-five dollars and four hundred. No, I'm sorry, three hundred eighty-five thousand four hundred forty-nine dollars to help. That's bring not this even project Roman numerals, man. I, dude, English. <laughs> if they had written these numbers in Polish, I would have been fine. <laughs> so here's the yeah. thing, people. If you want to, you know, nerds have money. We have a lot of disposable income. Yeah, because we don't really do things <laughs> we'd yeah. like to produce our own series so you could disposable income this way and we'll you know make a series yeah so if you want to know about the 40 going on 14 well, we, web series we, we'll have we a kickstarter River, if we turn Rivalquin into like a critical role type thing you know you're not involved in that joel 
<laughs> I think you broke him. <laughs> yeah, he has nothing to say. <laughs> I was talking well, about the forty going on fourteen thing, but you know, whatever. The uh, I would involve you somehow, Joel. The other thing is, is this has already been renewed for a season two. Yep. Like by the time this episode goes live, the series finale will be out because they've been doing them three episodes every Friday. So the night after we record this, the season finale will be out. Yep, and I'm going to watch it. Now there's 12 episodes in this season. Yes. Yeah, and they just did nine. Nine is the last one. Correct. And nine is three. And three will be the final episode. Fuck you all. I forgot we're ahead on our recordings. (laughs) Yeah. I forgot my numbers. All right, so these are directed by Sung Jinan, who uh, also did stuff like Nico and the Sword of Light and Deathstroke Knights and Dragons. Alicia Chan uh, did a short. This is her first, like, really big thing. Her other thing that she did is something called A Few Shy. Young Heller, uh, this is his first director credit and has been a storyboard artist for a bunch of stuff. Just, like, the whole resume is nothing but uh, storyboard art, which is great. Storyboard artist, I... 100% 100% think are unsung heroes of animation and movies and TV. You know, you don't really hear a lot about them. Stanley Von Medeve, which is a great name, did three episodes and did something, a, a, a TV series called L5. It's kind of like a, a sci-fi TV show. And Yu Wan Pang, who did two episodes and has also done Dota, Defense of the Ancients, Dragon's Blood, and a TV show called Magi Nation, based off the short-lived CCG. So, a lot of talent there on the directing side. Now, on writing credits, we have Brandon Allman, who did uh, episode one and two, whose background also covers Blade Runner Black Lotus and a ton of episodes of Star Wars Resistance, which I have not watched, but it looks like something I would enjoy. Mark Bernadine did the episode of A Silver Tongue and is also written for Castle Rock and Treadstone. Have any I didn't more? even know that existed until this, just like a week ago. I was like, Treadstone, they did a show about the Born Identity program? Yeah, it's yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, all these sleeper cells all of a sudden wake up across the world. I, I want to watch oh, Have you watched any of it? what it is? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, neat. Yeah. Came out like four or five years ago. It lasted a season, and that was it. Um, Ashley Birch uh, did the episode Shadows at the Gate, and while she has a lot of other things, the thing that she's known most for is the voice of Tiny Tina from the Borderlands series. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, you. if you didn't watch her back in the day on Hey Ash, What You Playing, uh, she's also one of the big series regulars on, uh, oh shoot, the Apple TV, I'm blanking, I, I, I just started watching it, uh, the MMO, The Office, but it's an MMO. Uh, huh. Mythic Quest. I know what you Yes, I was just going to say I know what you're talking about. Mythic Quest? Yeah, with Rob McElhaney uh, and it's produced by it's created by Rob McElhaney and Charlie Day, but it's Rob McElhaney, uh Ashley Birch, huh. and uh a few other people who you would know. That sounds you know that sounds like something I would watch. Yeah, F Murray Abraham's in it. Uh anyway. Okay. Uh so also Kevin Burke did the episode Tide of Bone, and he's also written for a Spider-Man TV series back in 2017. May Katz did Spark of Rebellion, has also done Transformers Cyberverse uh, for staff writer for 39 episodes. Jennifer Muro did Fate's Journey and did four episodes of Wacky Races. Nice. I did not know that they redid Wacky Races. 
So we need to do put that on the list because I, I used to love do. wacky races. <laughs> uh, Sam Regal did the episode Skenbo uh, and also did no, All Work, No Play, which is basically the critical role people hanging out and getting into shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eugene Sun did Feast of Realms and was a writer for Avengers Assemble TV series. Travis Willingham, also involved in Scanbo, and does the voice of Grog in the actual yeah, show. Yeah, Sam Regal is the voice of Scanlan Shorthall. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and Chris Wyatt did Tide of Bone, and was a writer for Chico Bon Bon, Monkey with a Tool Belt. <laughs> Chico Bon Bon, which, Chico Bon Bon. Which sounds like something I need to at least look into. You, you I think you totally need to. So it's kind of like, imagine if um, Bob the Builder was a monkey. <laughs> so it's it's kind of trippy. Like home, home improvement, but with like tiny primates. Yeah, kind of that. Also, voices. Laura Bailey does the voice of Vex. Uh, Talison Jaff does the voice of Percival Del Rolo, Percy. Ashley Johnson does the voice of Pike Trickfoot. Liam O'Brien does the voice of Vaxilin Vassar, the brother twin. of Vex, yeah, the twin brother of Vex. Um, Marisha Ray does Kyleth. Sam Regal does the voice of Scanlan. Travis Willingham is Grog. And Matthew Mercer does the voice of Sylvus Briarwood, among other names. Yeah, Silas. among lots of others. Yeah. So some trivia on this one. So Vox Machina notoriously had a very hard time opening doors during their adventures and campaign. Scanlan, Pike, and Kyleth struggling to open the doors in episode one is a nod to this. Keyleth. Keyleth, sorry. Uh, I only know because I would have called her Keyleth, except uh, Vax is constantly calling her Kiki. Oh, okay. Uh, Since Matthew Mercer was the campaign DM without an actual player character, he voices many characters from villages and guards to Silas Briarwood. One guard also looks like an animated version of Matt, leading many fans to play Spot Matt during each episode. So that's kind of yeah, cool. Yeah, it's, it's a hidden Easter egg that there's a character that is drawn to look like him in every episode. Nice. Yeah. Uh, hidden in every episode is an element, boulders, sun, reflections, crystals, or gems that all make the form of a 20-sided die. Nice. So that's kind of another mm. scavenger hunt type of thing. And there's also a ton of in-jokes in this show. These are This is a show written by nerds for nerds. So you have the Nimbus 2000. And the jester's weasel trickster god on the shop floor of Gilmore's goods, and the small rug on the floor of Krieg's, uh, the blue dragon office. Uh, in the one episode, no spoilers, but um, the rug has a multicolored five-headed dragon on it, and therefore it is a Tiamat. There's a bunch of stuff like this. Mike caught one that I gave him credit for in the first episode that Vax's, or no, third episode that Vax's magic item is a one eyed trouser snake. Yep. Uh, I didn't notice it had one eye. That's nice. Yeah, it's wearing a little eye patch. Yep. The funny thing is, is I noticed the five-headed dragon on the mat and even thought Tia Matt, but I didn't put Tia Matt together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, in the background of the magic item shop, there's also something that is very clearly Gary Gygax's sandals. Oh, <laughs> really? Nice. Yeah, it's well hidden, but like if you'd seen him back before he died, he was always wearing pretty distinctive sandals, and they are for sale in the magic shop. Very cool. Yeah, a Hawaiian shirt. I, I saw the Hawaiian shirt. Yeah. And two hard-boiled eggs. <laughs> Now, for anybody getting into Vox Machina, and if you're not familiar with, now, 
I never watched Critical Role, but I think like to think that I'm neck deep in nerd culture that I can kind of like roll with the punches on things. But if you're watching Vox Machina because people at the office have talked about it, but you don't really play games, give it three episodes. For sure. They definitely, in the first two episodes, want to do two, accomplish two things. They want to establish this is not for your kids. And they want to make the characters slightly immature and shitty so they have room to grow. Mm-hmm. And they 100% do it. I mean, the first mm-hmm. episode is, I don't want to say probably, I don't want to say the worst episode, but it's the worst behavior of the yeah. characters. It tries a little hard to be edgy with all of the fucking and puking and gore and swearing. There's a lot of puking in that episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and gore. But, like, a lot of people tapped out after the second episode and don't understand why it's 100% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. It's because if the show was all like the first two, I'd still probably like it. But once you get past the first two and into the third and subsequent, you start to see character growth and you understand how intelligently plotted this thing is. Now, as our DM, Patrick and Josh... What's your take on it? Looking at it from a from DM's eyes. I will start off with uh, the reason why I didn't make any like comments or jokes when Josh made his couch gag earlier about the first show being us running games as kids and this one being us running games as 30-year-olds. It's because that is just true. There was nothing funny about that. It's, <laughs> it was just poignantly true. I mean, this is feels like a campaign and i made a comment to one of the players in our campaign at one point i was like there are so many elements about this that feel like the game that i'm running Mm -hmm. the the half giant you know we have a half giant in our campaign you know the the snarky female archer who doesn't like anybody but herself messing with everybody you know i mean the you know the percy is like a combination of taryn and admin two of the characters together you know it's i mean it's just a lot of parallels to an actual campaign, and it, it feels like a real D&D campaign, because it was. Yeah, and that was my take, too, is of all of the adaptations of Dungeons & Dragons, like, some of them might be better fantasy literature. This is the one that feels most like playing Dungeons & Dragons, and second place is not close. Second place, Although, in my opinion, would be Harmon Quest, but I know you guys haven't watched that. Harmon Quest uh, is like this, but but less gritty and more funny. Although this does feel like the games that we used to play with Matt, Matt, and a couple of other friends in high school, you know, where you go into the town and the first thing you do is you're like, oh, there's a tavern. Is there a girl there? I'd like to do her. You know, and you're not really serious. I want to do them. <laughs> there's, there's elements of that in this, but it, it's so much deeper than that. But they kind of, you know, get that out of the way. And like you said in the first episode. Now, what, there is another group of people playing D&D that I know – uh, my girls watch. And I think they have a whole series where it like it takes place at like a adventurer's school. It's got that. Well, it's got that redheaded dude as a well, DM. There are a lot of uh, real play uh, streams, web series out there. Um, Ed Sheeran uh, Deborah is Ann Wall. Deborah Ann Wall runs one as well. Ed Sheeran is not the one I'm thinking of. <laughs> Nimrod. Donnie Most. Oh yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it. Not critical role. Not Harmon Quest. Anyway, I'll, I'll think about it. But there's another one that my my girls have gotten gotten into. Uh, but th- it seems like there is a there's a ton of these 
Yeah, that's the thing. Is like out. it's depending on which one they decided to fall into. Because like the ones that the average person would know would be Critical Role or the one that Deborah Ann Wall runs because it attracts other celebrities. Since she was in True Blood and on Daredevil, mm-hmm. and that's the other thing we want to toss out there. Not to bring it up the act uh, acting stuff. A ton of these people in Critical Role are voice actors. Well, they all are. They all of them yeah. are. Okay, then. Yeah. But I think one of the things, I mean, I kind of kind of uh, went out browsing some of the forums and seeing what people were talking, how people are talking about this thing. And one of the comments that I saw that I think really makes sense was, yes, it's great that this is getting people into D&D and tabletop role-playing games. That's fantastic. What it's bad, uh, the bad portion of it is, is that you have new DMs that are going to come out and think, their games are going to be just like Critical Role. Well, yeah, there there is the Matthew Mercer effect. And yeah, people got to realize that Matt Mercer, in addition to being the Peter Cullen of our time, in fact, he might be more prolific than Frank Welker or Peter Cullen at this point. He, I mean, he started doing big voice parts all the way back in Akira. He's been in Attack on Titan. He's been in, like, you look at his voice credit, mm-hmm. it's absurd. Uh he played Jesse McCree, who has been renamed in Overwatch. Like, he is a legend. And then you're thinking, oh, well, this guy's just a super talented improviser. But then you watch him on some of the other stuff, and you realize that if there's a person on this planet that knows Dungeons & Dragons better than me, it's Matt Mercer. Dude knows his shit. Have you seen that one clip that kind of got famous when he was on that one uh, gaming uh, nerd, nerd game show where they showed a panel like it was a four page panel of a of a, ba- a, a animated battle yes like a storyboard and battle he, and they're like and what he, are all the different rules that are wrong in here and they had 20 things intentionally wrong and he found 22 yes <laughs> and they're like holy shit he found things we didn't even know we were doing wrong <laughs> yep you know oh it, as the one person out of the four of us that is a former gamer uh doesn't really game anymore but did it in uh, you know, was it started to get into it in in before high school? Played it in high school. Played it in college. Uh, I went into this thinking I wasn't really going to dig it. Like I was like, eh, it looks like it's you know going to be a thing that I'm going to be like, eh, it was all right. I, spoiler. Uh, I really enjoyed this, and I I don't laugh out loud at movies very often or shows, but one scene in particular where uh, the little fucker uh, Scanlan it takes a potion and he's breathing fire. I don't know why that made me laugh, but it did. You know um, why? Because when, it was when, friggin' hilarious. When he's trying to, to translate that book and he's talking about the zipper twat, that made me laugh. <laughs> I I really enjoyed it. The animation is is very nice. The of course the voice acting is on point. Uh and I legitimately was disappointed when I found out that there was still more episodes and I wasn't gonna be able to finish it <laughs> before this. I watched all nine episodes, but I was like, damn it, there's no more. And I even went and watched uh one of the uh, some of the episode, uh, one of their old uh, critical role, where they do it, you know, the original. Yeah, the yeah. The, the game. Now, the yeah. guy who I was thinking of, and I think the guy that you're thinking of, Pat, that called out all the errors in the combat, because I sent, I'm the one who sent that video. Brennan Lee Mulligan is the redheaded guy that I was thinking of. Oh, okay. He's the one who runs a game that's based out of a adventurer school, and he's he is another one of those GMs that's like, oh my god, he knows. He must have forgotten where he lives because his brain is so full of D and D rules. Mm-hmm. Doesn't Joe Joe Mangianello run a game too that's online or something yep. like that? 
Yeah, well, it's and not one that is yeah. a real play podcast or anything. It's one that is stacked with celebrities. Yeah, yeah. And another person who we can thank for it is um, ah shit. Pat, help me, Josh. Uh, Pitch Black. <laughs> Vin oh, Diesel. oh, yeah, Vin, Vin Diesel. Diesel. Yeah, Vin Diesel. I mean, the you know the that he dude. Was, he was one of the first, like you know. "Quote unquote cool celebrities to admit that he loved and still played D and D." Yeah, yeah, and he kind of the tattoos that he had in in Triple X. You know, he he designed after his his favorite D and D character. Nice. He, wrote, well, he made and, a movie about it. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, I saw that movie. Now it's been like ten years since the average D and D player, like it used to look like me, a heavy set middle aged guy with long hair and a goatee, and that's not the stereotype anymore. Like you look at how it's changed since the streaming era, and partially uh, because of shows like Critical Role, the average D and D player is equally likely to be male or female. Uh, gauged ears are going to be more common than a pot belly. Tattoos mm. are going to be more common than, uh, like, Cheeto dust. Mm-hmm. Everyone still yeah. wears glasses. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's, that's not changing anytime soon. And there's always going to be dice. Yeah. You just, there's so much dice. I mean, I... Once you, once you start buying dice, you just, for some reason, you just can't stop. <laughs> yeah, and I, I've done, like, this last year, I've done some DMing myself, you know, which I'm getting back into with, like, since I've recently discovered, I think, a game system that follows the way I play a little bit better and that's powered by the apocalypse. Um I ran some D D games with a group that <laughs> watched Critical Role and they totally wanted to do the same thing. And I at, at one point or another, at one point I actually had to have a conversation with them and be like, look, I know what you're doing. You want you you know you're you're not voice actors. Before we get into the drama, let's figure out how not to get killed by the troll first. You know, let's let's get some basic strategy down. Let's learn the rules. Let's you know, like because I had everything in the game from like and my character tabletop. We're not larping, right? That's exactly it. It's and they, I appreciated it. I I was a hundred percent behind them getting that in depth into the game, but at the same time, I'm like, none of you guys have played D and D before. You know, let's let's learn the rules. Let's get the basics down. I'm giving you. There's also, there's also combat. We yeah. have to do combat. We have to figure out combat. We have to figure out you know initiative. We have to figure out all these basic stuff, and then let's get into the get into that. Let's get the baby steps in, and they they were all right. We had to cut it. You know, we had to cut the game short because you know someone had a kid. You know, a lot of that like life stuff happened, but. um you know, it, it, I agree with some of the people that have said that it's made, made it more accessible. I mean, and half, and how do I, how do I put this in the framework? Half the people in that game were people from my church. That's cool. Yeah. And they're like, you know, I mean, and if you had, if I had said to you, I'm playing a game of D&D with people from my church back in 1985. They'd assume you're talking about the Church of Satan. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, that's exactly what the conversation would have been. So, Could it be um, Satan? Satan? <laughs> there were a couple of changes here and a couple of interesting things that happened in the storytelling that were as a result of what actually happened in the game. Uh, they had to write a bunch of original songs for Scanlan Shorthalt because, in general, Sam Regal would basically, on the fly, like do uh, D&D versions of pop songs, which they obviously <clears throat> don't have access to. Nice. 
also during this arc of the campaign, Ashley Johnson was super busy and I believe uh, pregnant. I could be wrong on the pregnant, but like she's got a lot going on in terms of both voice acting and actual acting. So she was more drop in, drop out, which is why Pike was off on her quest to restore her faith and often just like uh, projecting in like near the end of the series, like she's doing show uh, appearing to them in a vision. They would have to do that because Ashley might have to Skype in for one session. Got it. She wouldn't be physically present. Astral projection. Astral projection. Thank you. That was the word I was looking for. But that's because Ashley was not physically present at the table for quite a bit through the Briarstone arc. Okay. All in all, I am I'm a hundred percent behind this, and Suzanne's actually watching it with me. You know, Suzanne. Uh, those of you on the podcast you know, listening to this, don't. She's my wife. Did not know she was a nerd until after she met me, <laughs> and. <clears throat> God help her. She had, you know, her magic deck that was called These Are the Cards I Own and, att- <laughs> and attempted, you know, some yeah. some role playing, tabletop role playing with us and that sort of thing. So, but um, she's more of a board gamer than a TTRPGR, but uh, she's 100% in on this also and has theories and has ideas and, you know, giving a guesses on what's going to happen next type of thing. So this is, this has brought her in too. And I, I appreciate it. It's something that, you know, we can both enjoy. That's awesome, because uh, with the renewal, we're going to get to see them go deeper into, like, making Scanlan more than just the horny bard who does butt stuff jokes. Uh, we're already starting to see Grog getting a little bit of character development, and we're getting uh, deeper into Vax and Vex. We're seeing the characters start to pair off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Percy's got his own issues. We've seen Keyleth's got her desperation to, like prove herself to her friends and her own like she could be the most powerful but she's constantly doubting herself like all of these characters start out as fantasy tropes and you realize they've got some problems like it's not just their fuck-ups like they're portrayed in the first two episodes but they also have some like issues that they got to work through both working on themselves and in terms of how they relate to each other uh on that path as you name off all the characters do any of you have a particular person that you're kind of is like your the person you like the best like the, your favorite character out well, of this group? I, I love Grog but I have played Percy in so many campaigns <laughs> like as soon as Sarah and I watched that I was like yep uh, Percy's the sort of character you would create and on on that same theme I think Percy is a fantastic character but I'm always Scanlan <laughs> Truth, Pat. Patrick, I'm guessing it's Grog, but yeah, I mean it, it's very easy to say Grog because he is, you know, very entertaining. Um, but is that correct? He likes the bear. <laughs> that poor <laughs> bear doesn't get enough to do. I, I do, I do quite like the bear, and I don't understand why they leave him behind for safety. I'm like, he's the toughest one out of all of you. What are you <laughs> he's doing? a bear, right? Like, you should bring him for your safety. <laughs> Have you tried throwing um, the bear at them? But I, I mean, it would probably the one that makes me laugh the most is Scanlan, so I'd have to go with him. Now, which one? Yeah. But which one do you play? Oh, you play Grog. Uh, most of the time, I, I do play the the big dumb guy, but uh, that's just out of laziness most of the time because then I don't have to like <laughs> listen to anything. <laughs> like that's the best part about playing Null is whenever they're talking about strategy or anything, I just go, I just zone out. <laughs> Like, because um, his strategy is just uh, let's go smash something. 
So yeah, I, that's that's one of them I play the most. It would be either him or um or the half elf. No, not the half elf. Uh, I don't think about I've... Vax. Yeah, yeah. I guess that. I mean, it, out of that group, Grog would be the one I would play the most because the type of character that I play, other than the big smash 'em up guy, is not really represented in in this show. So, yeah, I would go with Grog. Yeah, I you know f- typically uh, there's there's specific character types I would I would play, which would I've played bards and enjoy playing bards. Um, but I, th- that character, the Scanlan character, is probably my least favorite of the bunch. Uh I like Percival, and I would probably enjoy playing Percival. But my favorite character is Keyleth. Yeah, I 100% that track called that. Yeah, I, I figured you guys would probably figure that out because you know I I play healers, bards, or the crazy one, uh, or the one that's got some sort of a problem. Uh, and I say or, or this not just anxiety to, issues. <laughs> I say this not to, just to you, Joel, but to any of our listeners who have Scanlan Shorthalt as their least favorite character. Wait for it. He may have the most interesting journey of any of uh, Vox Machina. Uh, and I, I'm he, not discounting he, him, you know. I'm but. just saying, this is a very common perception of early Scanlan where he is a walking dick joke. But he he goes places, is all I gotta say. And I, I will stop it there for future season spoilers. I just, at this point, he feels like, it, like, like Sam uh, Regal was trying a little too hard to be... Uh, like miniature Jack Black, and so it kind of falls a little, a little short. Plus, when I watched the actual uh, them actually gaming, the, the, he himself kind of rubbed me the wrong way. The 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 man himself. So maybe that's part of it. But uh, well, you, uh, you know, I'd be curious to see where he goes. You could tell when you watch them gaming that one of his goals is to crack the others up, and he's frequently successful. And, of course, there was one other member of Vox Machina who uh, is not featured in this. Uh, his character was gone uh, by the time uh, this character, uh, uh, this arc started. Uh, yeah, because they started, was... like, level 7 here, so there was definitely stuff that happened before then. Right. Uh, and uh, there was a dragonborn uh, noble. Uh, I'm trying to remember uh, the name of the character and the name of the actor, but he very early on uh, had to leave the podcast. And uh, there were some issues. I believe the actor himself was uh, addicted to drugs. He treated the rest of them like crap off of the stream. Mm. And they just decided that we're not going to even mention that he was ever part of Vox Machina. That's rough. Wow. Well, I mean, wow. Yeah. Yeah, he and he was a, a big character in the beginning, but fortunately they just decided, okay, we're going to move past the pre-stream stuff, we're going to move past, we're going to do some of the early stuff that is just before the stream, and we're going to jump arcs to after he'd already left. It's interesting, though, because it, it creates not only a, a situation where you can tell their backstory, you can also tell the actual story of what's already happened. So I, I mean, narratively, it, it works well. Fortunately for them, or not? <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm with you. Although I don't think they'll ever go back and do the Craghammer arc because it would be hard to tell without the character who they're never going to acknowledge again because of issues with the actor. Hmm. All in all, for if you, if somebody had told me, oh, they're making a D and D cartoon for now. And I knew nothing about Critical Role. My expectations for it would be very low. I'm incredibly pleased with the whole thing. 
Well, and it's funny. Somebody, uh, I think it was, uh, well, I forget which listener it was. I think it was it was Mike, but uh, had mentioned, you know, that it was like, you know, you're comparing these two things, that, and I'm like, they, they're actually a little closer than you think, even though they're very different. Because you do have a lot of the same elements that kind of are play into both the original and this version, mm-hmm. but they're two very different animals. And uh, like I said, I didn't know that I was going to enjoy this, and they just have done such a good job with it that it's hard not to, even for a non non gamer at this point. Yeah, I don't think you get to a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes only applying to hardcore D and D nerds. For sure, for sure. There's a lot going on here. Uh, and animation is the perfect vehicle for a Dungeons and Dragons campaign to be uh, represented through because you just couldn't do it live action. It just would be too too expensive. Well, I'm mean, too expensive, and I think it'd be another situation where it, it kind of like the Dungeons and Dragons movie. It comes across as way too hokey. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's like it it's cheesy to see cartoons dressed up as these characters is one thing. But then again, how are you going to manage showing, you know, a halfling and a Titan that travel together and make it look yeah. realistic? Yeah. Uh, you're going to spend a lot of money is mm-hmm. what it's you're going to do. Exactly. It's expensive to do, to, to, to do well. Yeah. You got to have like Peter Jackson cheap. money. Uh, look, I would like to point out that when you do melee combat, especially like fantasy melee combat with spells, uh, it's not the cheapest form of animation to actually make the fights look good. You look at classic uh, medieval-style swords and sorcery anime, and frequently they will do a cut two or do a lot of quick cuts on the battle scenes because it's way easier to do guns or superpowers than it is to do swords. It is super expensive to have uh, melee combat look good, and uh, they pulled it off in this. Especially like what, the yeah. fight Go against ahead, the undead. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, and uh, the original fight against the dragon too. I was very, I was blown away. Like just the the electrical breath, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, but that you're right. The the fight against the undead ghouls was oh, that was creepy as shit. And that well, you just brought up the the electric breath from the blue dragon. That's something I like, because I think if this was made by committee, if this is one of those things where a bunch of guys at Amazon decided that we should have this this show, and it was made by a bunch of people that's sitting at a desk versus people that actually play the game, you know somebody would be like, well, it's a dragon. Why are they not breathing fire? Yeah. Right? I don't think people are going to get it if they don't breathe fire. Whereas, I was like, awesome. Blue dragon breathes lightning. As it, it should be, the, the sound and and the the glowing effect that they did in the in the production, yeah, is really cool. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, so um, I like you guys very much enjoyed this. Uh, yeah. Really, really thought it was really well done. When, I went into it expecting to like it, and I was not disappointed. I've watched four of the episodes so far, and I'm 100% going to finish watching it. Oh, you're yeah, in for a good s- trip. I was going to say, you just got to where it starts getting good. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the the last scene I saw was the, um, oh, God, what was, how did the episode end? It ended on a cliffhanger, and I can't remember what it was right now off the top of my head, but still good. Like yeah. The whole scene when Pike goes away for a little while was, was really well done, too. I was glassy. Like, I, I actually, like, I wasn't going to cry, but I felt myself, like, at the edge of tearing up. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It was really emotional, well done, you know? Oh, when yes. she... Um, when she realized that she had to go and, you know, Grog got all sad and everything, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll tell you, you know when I was 100% in on this is when Percy put on the mask for the first time. Yes! The oh Plague my God. Doctor mask? Yes, I was just like... 
<laughs> like when he pulled out the mask and the black smoke started coming up. Now I'm I okay. And they're all like, "What the fuck?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, <laughs> it's like I like the one of the best comments ever. Like this is something we should have talked about. This is this is things that we have had should have had a conversation about with this. I 100% believe that he has made a deal with a demon, and once all the names are off his gun, he gets pulled down into hell. That's my guess. Well, I I will do a minor spoiler preview for what the final arc is titled. The final arc in uh, Vox Machina is titled Vecna. (laughs) Now, wait a second. Can they use Vecna if it's not? Oh, it is D&D. Man, we play too much Pathfinder. Oh, I so, hope they cut off the right hand. So do we go right now to what I think is a spectacularly obvious thumbs up, thumbs down? I think we should. We always do. All right. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Joel. Uh, well, I, I thought it was only going to be a thumbs up because of nostalgia on the original, but I'm going thumbs up because I actually thought it was worth watching. And absolutely thumbs up on the, the current show, for sure. Excellent. No surprises from me. Exactly the same, exactly the same reasons. I was afraid that I was going to go back and have my nostalgia memories ruined by uh, the reality of the old school D&D cartoon. But in some ways, it was better than I remember it. Uh, And yeah, like I said, even before the break, uh, Vox Machina is my favorite thing on TV. And I would also give a... uh... It's not quite the the exuberant thumbs up that you guys are giving to the, the then. Uh, I kind of knew going into it, I it was going to disappoint me, and it did. But it it wasn't like the Voltron level of disappointment that you guys had. It just was. I was just like, yeah, this isn't as good as I remember it being. Was really the feeling. I, it wasn't like I was like, this is crap. It just it was you know just the the bad animation and the repetitiveness and that kind of thing kind of gl- were glaring. And, but I did like I said, I only got to watch four episodes. So it's not like I got a huge foot in the water. So yes, short version, thumbs up, and a huge thumbs up for the for the now. Yeah, Vox Machina is very well done, and I can't wait to finish watching. Keep watching. Yeah, I I mean for the then I've got a thumbs up. It again. I was expecting a Voltron moment where I was like, there must have been something wrong with me as a child for enjoying this. And I was wrong. It's it's a solid cartoon. I mean, it's a solid storyline for it. I mean, there's some risk. There's some challenge. I, I had to throw back to it, but it did seem to me that the episodes moved real fast. Yeah. True. Yeah, it was like, oh my god, we have to save this. Oh, there's no downtime. It's like, we go to here, we go to here, we go to here. Which in the same time, I'm like, they only had 20 minutes to do it. And they had to, you know, get that going. But thumbs by up the, for the. By them. the way, when when dude, they set up the ambush for the for the the one the vampire and, and and whatever I can't remember their names, and dude just picks up the log and just starts beating him with it. I was like, okay, we're, this is some serious shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're doing this. Yeah, all right. Yeah. This is how this is gonna go. Um, that was, yeah, that, that was my first like moment. I was like, wow, this is yeah, this is happening. Yeah, <laughs> and for the now, it's a thumbs up also. Awesome. So uh, if you have any of your favorite details about Dungeons & Dragons, uh, you want to talk about uh, Legend of Vox Machina, especially by the time you hear this, uh, this the first season will be done, uh, let us know. Give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Yep. And uh, if you guys want to hear any more of our shows, maybe go back to the D&D episode that we posted 300 episodes ago or conversations about role-playing games or whatever our back catalog is 
all over the place. We're on Podbean and Pandora. We're on iTunes. Uh, we are on Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts. You know, honestly, like Pat says, if you can't find us, you ain't trying hard enough. And, and, and if you're out there and you have a network and you're looking for content, contact us. Yeah. <laughs> we have over 400 episodes of content. Yeah, we're just kind of floating out here. Let's find us. If you're another podcaster, give me a call. Message me. Um... But yeah, no, give us a call, leave us a rating, join us uh, on Discord, because we always love to hear from you guys. So many of our, since we launched the Discord, so many of our shows have come from ideas from our listeners, and we love to hear from you, we like to hear about what's going on in your lives, and... And we love to give you what you want. Yes. Oh, yeah. Just like that. Which is more Donnie Most. (laughs) Oh, uh, wait, what? (laughs) But yeah, get in touch with us. We enjoy hearing from you guys. And Joel, yo, what do we got coming up, man? Dude, Oscars month. We were going to talk about Nightmare Alley, the West Side Story, 101 Damnations versus Cruella. <laughs> the sorry. Oscars. Did what? you just you just said 101 Damnations? I did. That's what I call it. <laughs> okay. Just checking, not 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 judging, just <laughs> just checking. Uh, the Oscars themselves, Death on the Nile, Plan 9 from Outer Space, Parks, or I'm sorry, Pranks and or Jackass or both or something along those lines. And we're going to be doing a show on theme songs, so it's got a lot of shit coming. Yeah, we have not been this organized in a long time, so you guys are like a rare moment of our lives. I'm honestly, out of all the shows coming up, the Death on the Nile one is the one I'm most excited for. Yeah, I think we're used to Kenneth Branagh's mustache now, so. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, uh, everybody, if... Uh, you know, this is the end of the show, and thank you guys for listening, and we will be back next week. I'm judging. I rolled a natural 20. That's mine. Don't waste another minute on your cracking. Whether we need me. The best is ready, is ready to, to begin. Ooh, ooh, long as we got each other. What is happening? We got the world sitting right in our hands. Baby, rain or shine. All the time. All the time. We got each other. Sharing, sharing the laughter love. <laughs> you don't know what we- this is? Mike? We could just do a whole show just us singing theme songs. Oh, man. People would love that. Here we are, face to face, a couple of silver spoons. <laughs> what is-